Well, welcome everyone. Welcome to Summit Church. And for those of you who are joining us online, we're glad you're here today as well. Uh, you can always tell when the senior pastor's away when one of the choices in the worship set is Love Stinks, right? <laughs> well, this is a new series. I'm Dan Houck, one of the pastors around here. Uh, and we're really talking this month about love, but really from more of a biblical sense. And how many people are familiar with that song, that Jay Giles song? How many? Love Stinks? Right. Some of you are familiar from the uh, Adam Sandler movie, and you really fully can't appreciate it unless you hear him saying, until the day you die, you know? Um, but the reality is, you know, it talks about you love her and she loves him and he loves somebody else. You just can't win. And it sounds like my high school dating career. Love is tough. Love is so tough. And I think it's appropriate we're talking about Love Stinks because it's February, right? And that's the month of Valentine's Day. And we are a nation that loves Valentine's Day, folks. I was looking up stats on Valentine's Day, and people in America spend $24 billion on Valentine's Day every year. That's $24,000 million, for those of you who like it broken down into millions. That's a lot of money. I think we're kind of overly focused on romantic love in our culture. And I, I'm, I love romantic comedies. I mean, I, I don't watch every romantic comedy, but I do like romantic comedies. I like to balance it out with a, a movie where someone gets shot and killed. But <laughs> one of my favorite romantic comedies is How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Anybody else? Okay. Such a good movie. I, I initially watched romantic comedies because I thought it could give me some good dating tips. But I soon found out, unless you look like Matthew McConaughey and have hair, it's not going to really help. So here's the premise of the movie. A little spoiler alert. It's a 20-year-old movie, so if you haven't seen it yet, it's your fault. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is an ad exec, and uh, uh, Kate Hudson is a writer for a magazine, and she writes these how-to uh, subjects. Every, every week or every month, she's got a how-to. So she has a friend that gets dumped, and so she decides, I'm going to write a how-to on how to lose a guy in 10 days and talk about all the common things women do to ruin their relationships. So she's literally going to find a guy and just make him miserable till he dumps her. And then Matthew McConaughey, on the other hand, is uh, in this ad agency. They have this diamond account. These two ladies are really the ones that are going to get the account because everybody knows that women love diamonds, know about diamonds, and know how to market to women about diamonds. So Matthew wants this account, and he says, I know women. In fact, I can make any woman in this bar fall in love with me. And so these two women say, oh, yeah? And he said, yeah, you want to bet? He says, if I can do this, then you give me the diamond account. And so Matthew agrees to make a woman fall in love with him for the advancement of his career. This sounds like a making of a beautiful marriage, doesn't it? <laughs> Two people completely narcissistic, using each other, but in the movies, as always, they fall in love and live happily ever after. We know that would never happen in real life. Well, we are so focused on romantic love in this culture. Uh, we think about it in the movies. We think about it in music. Uh, we see it all the time in magazines when you're on the checkout stand, love, love, love. But it's just one kind of love that they're talking about. Now, in the Bible, there are, uh, well, really in Greek, there's four different kinds of love. The Bible talks about two words that mean love. 
And it's hard for us to fully understand what the Bible's talking about if we don't understand these. So I'm just going to quick, don't want to bore you with Greek, but uh, the kind of love, this romantic love in the Bible would be considered one of the, the, the least uh, intense or I, sh- I should say the lowest form of love. Uh, but the highest form of love is a word, said some of our single people, right? So uh, the highest form of love is a word called agape, and many of you may be familiar with that. What's interesting is in Greek literature, you almost never see that word. Almost never, because it's a word that's kind of debasing to people. It's a word you might use of a slave who's completely beholden to his master. They have to do everything they, there is to be done for the master. And so it's not a word that the Greek culture looked up to. But in the Bible, Jesus and the writers of Scripture use it 115 times. In fact, it's the word they use to describe God. And so I think it's important for us to understand what biblical love is this morning. And so today we're going to talk about that. And I want to kick it off with a verse. Before I get into it, I'll give you a little background. You guys know the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You know that? And the second one, which is? You guys cheated because it's on my shirt. So that's the greatest commandment. And what's interesting about that is everybody in that culture knew the first part of that. They learned it when they were babies. They said it in their houses all the time. It's Deuteronomy 6.4. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Everybody knew it. The second one, the second part that Jesus adds, no one knew. I mean, maybe some study uh, scripture students, maybe some Pharisees, but the rank and file people, this came out of left field. Let's read this verse together. It's in Leviticus. You guys read Leviticus all the time, right? <laughs> Leviticus nineteen eighteen, And this is in the middle of a chapter full of how you're supposed to treat people and how you're supposed to treat your pets and your livestock. This is sandwiched right in the middle. It says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, Jesus didn't quote the whole scripture. He quoted half of it, the last half. But this scripture initially was tied to this chapter and to the first part of this verse because he gave all these rules in this chapter on how to treat people well. But when he gets to the verse, this verse, basically what he's saying is, okay, now that I've told you how to treat people well, just get used to people letting you down because they're not going to do what I've told them to do. And when that happens, this is how you're supposed to respond. Don't take revenge. Don't think about how you're going to get even with somebody. And some of you guys go, I don't take revenge. How many people have ever given somebody the silent treatment? That's passive-aggressive revenge. We get revenge in all kinds of creative ways. Maybe we gossip about people. There's a lot of ways we get revenge. But even if you don't take revenge, I think the second thing is even harder to do, and that's not bear a grudge. And I don't want to minimize what we go through because what people do to us in this world are lightly annoying to horrifically damaging. We, we have hurt sometimes scars we carry around the rest of our lives because of what people have done to us. And what we need really is to understand 
from God's perspective, how to love people. But I'm just going to warn you today, you may not like this because this is a tough love. It's the toughest kind of love. But what I hope is today when you walk out of here, you're going to look at your life and your relationships different than you ever have before. So I'm going to give you three keys or three hacks if you're a TikTok fan on how you can love people well. The first one, living out biblical love means I identify opportunities to practice it. Identify opportunities to practice it. Love is like a lot of other things. When you have opportunities, you've got to take advantage of it. Teresa and I love to ski. Well, she skis and I snowboard. And so uh, when, when we worked at uh, the last church I was at, we had uh, Mondays off. And so I bought the cheap midweek pass. And I remember one year we, we decided to go up skiing. It was the first time we'd gone. So, you know, the night before you get everything ready. If you've gone skiing, you know this. If you haven't, trust me. So you get everything ready. You got to get out the clothes that you put away, you know, the nice outfits you wear. And then you put the outfit on and you stand in front of the mirror and you look at yourself and you go, I look so good, man. I look cool. Uh, and then you take it off and you put it in your bag, you get ready to go. You wax up your boards. Uh, you load the car up, you get, think about your snack, what are you going to take tomorrow because you don't want to pay the $20 a hot dog you know, prices. So you get everything ready. And so we did that. The next morning, we got up bright and early. We go up to the mountain. We get out. And I, you know, I skateboard uh, with my board up to the lift. Teresa goes up. We don't like to do the little lifts because you know, go to the top, you get a nice long run. So we go to the top, we get a nice long run down. And I get to the bottom, I'm like, whew, man, I'm, I'm wiped like let's take a little break so Teresa and I go into the go into the uh, little cafe there and we take a little break and we sit there for a while and I say I don't know if I can do it again she goes I don't know if I can either do you want to go home sure so we get back in the car (laughs) drive two hours back home here's the reality we had been sitting on the couch for three months that doesn't prepare you to ski all day right When it comes to love, we have to take the opportunities that come our way if we're going to get good at loving people. Most of us look at our our lives and we have certain kinds of routines. Like if you're a student, you know, I'm going to go to school, I'll have these assignments, I did them, I didn't do them, whatever's going on, I have the sports. Uh, Or if you are a worker, you're going to go to work, you're going to have a routine, you're going to have a project, whatever it is you got going on at work, so you're thinking in your mind, that's going to happen You kind of know what's going to happen if you're a parent. You have no idea what your kids are going to do. But often, as we're going through our routines, somebody throws us a curveball. And at some point, shouldn't we realize we shouldn't be surprised by people's bad behavior? Don't you think that's true? I mean, I don't know about you, but... I've driven on the freeway a fair amount of time, but I have the same angry reaction every time someone cuts me off. You'd think by now I would just get on the freeway and expect it, right? You may have somebody who's always late, and you say, hey, this time you got to be on time, please, and they show up late again, and you act surprised. People are going to let us down, and the only way we're going to be able to love them is to understand that and have a plan going forward. So I'm going to talk about worldly love versus biblical love before we get into this. So i got a chart up here. Worldly love speaks my truth. Have you heard that saying now? This is my truth. People say that all the time. Really what this means is 
I have established the truth, and no one dare argue with it. And you see it on Twitter. You see it on social media all the time. People post things, and if somebody goes against them, they get angry. If your truth isn't the truth, it's not truth. It's your opinion. I love that saying. Let me share my opinion about things. It would be a lot easier in life. Biblical love speaks the truth in love. It's not so much worried about your truth. It's more worried about the other person and delivering truth to them in a way that doesn't needlessly hurt them. The second thing is uh, being self-focused. The world says, love yourself. And I'm not against that. The Bible tells us to love others as we love ourselves. However, I think we can get on the the road to narcissism if we're just trying to focus and love ourselves. Really, if you want to love yourself well, understand God, who he made you as, and your identity in him, and you'll begin to love yourself the appropriate way. But biblical love is others-focused. In fact, it puts you in a secondary position. It says in Romans that we're to think of others as more important than ourselves. That's hard to do. It goes against the grain. It's not natural. Worldly love is conditional. We may do things one or two times for somebody, but if they don't do something in return, I'm done. Whereas biblical love is unconditional. You do something based on whether or not it's right to do, regardless of what they may or may not do. Uh, next is biblical, or, uh, worldly love. You can fall out of love, right, with worldly love? You hear that all the time. Well, we just fell out of love. We drifted apart. And I, I, have, I wrote a book. I don't know if you know that. I wrote a book. It's on uh, Amazon. You can buy it for $19.99. Uh, anyway, shameless plug. But... Uh, when, when I was the singles pastor at Bayside, I learned a lot about relationships. I learned a lot about my own failed relationships. I learned about other people's failed relationships. And it was something really interesting. I noticed that when people would uh, begin to date, they would get these butterflies. You remember when you started dating somebody the first time? Maybe if you've been married 40 years, you can remember back. Or, or if you're dating someone now, you, you go on this first date, and then you're just waiting for the, you know, the, the text like, oh man, we, he's been home an hour and he hasn't said, oh, I had a great time. You know, you worry about it the next day. He texts you, and go, oh my gosh, he texted me. And all day long, you're checking your phone, checking your phone, checking your phone. Did he call? Did he text? Did she call? Did she text? Because you're all worried about it. And that lasts about six months. And then after six months, it's like, this guy's driving me nuts, right? <laughs> you were created to bond with other people. You were created... Um, and we, we associate that, that feeling we have when we first get to know somebody as, as love. And it's just the hormones that God put in your body to bond with people. He created us in an innocent environment, in Eden, right? When things were perfect. Well, now it's not. So we fall in love with the wrong people, quote unquote, sometimes. Well, those are the feelings and the emotions we have. True love happens over a long period of time, which is a biblical love. We see love as a commitment. It's not based on how I feel right now. It's a commitment. And last, love is a feeling. We associate that all the time, feelings. But in biblical love, love is a decision that we make for the betterment of somebody else. You know, uh, Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 6 about this kind of love. But you who are willing, we talked about that last decision, having a will to do something. You who are willing to listen, I say to you, love your enemies. 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, when your neighbor borrows your tools and doesn't return them, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. This is not an easy thing to do. We run away from this kind of love. It is so uncomfortable. It is so unnatural to us and so unnatural to the world, but it is powerful. So whenever you see someone being rude, whenever you see uh, at, at a store, rather than responding in kind, love says something nice to that person. When someone's trying to, at Costco, cut in quick and beat you to the register, you hold back and say, go ahead, go in front of me. When your kid says something mean to you, you say, I love you. This has literally happened to me before. And uh, my kid said, well, I don't love you. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that. I love you, though. And nothing can change that. If, if someone, uh, a spouse says something that hurts your feelings, you can respond in love. If you're on the freeway and someone cuts you off, smile and wave at them. Just use all five fingers when you do. <laughs> we have to look for opportunities to love people biblically, and those opportunities come when it's hard. Look for the hard opportunities. Number two, living out biblical love means I embrace how difficult it is. I embrace how difficult it is. It's not easy. You know, I, as a singles pastor, I have done, I don't know how many weddings, countless weddings. I used to do about seven weddings a year during wedding season, you know, May to August. And in fact, we got some good friends that came today and I officiated their wedding. And I love weddings. Um, the only thing I don't like about weddings is a lot of these weddings we went to, uh, there's a party table and then there's the family table. And usually we got sat next to Aunt Gertrude and they would say, she's a little deaf in this ear, so make sure you sit on that side, super sweet and we're like, we want to be at the party table. Anyway, but I digress. So at a wedding, things are perfect. And, you know, it's, it's that time where, oh, they're looking at each other, the bride and groom, they're all lovey-dovey. Oh. And you're like, oh, this is syrupy sweet. If you've been married 40 years, you know, don't worry, you'll get over it. And, and there's a, you know, I love having fun at weddings. And I usually inject some humor into the wedding. But there's one part of the wedding that's dead serious. And uh, it's the vows. And I'll have couples sometimes come to me and say, hey, we would like to write our own vows. And I'm down with that. I'm fine with that. So I'll usually give them some suggestions from the vows I use. But I warn them. I said, don't write things in there like, I'll make you breakfast every day. Or I'll always write you poems. Or things that you probably won't do because you're making a vow. You're making a vow before God. And the vows usually go something like, you know, I promise to be loyal to you, to love you. I promise to be with you in sickness and in health, right? But we all know, if we've been married any length of time, that love is tested in the sickness. Love is tested not in the rich, but the poorer. It's tested in the difficult times of life. And as you're saying your vows, you're expressing an intention 
But love is proven in the action over a long period of time. Um, this is one of the things I worry about with church, to be quite honest with you. Now, I, coming to church is vitally important. You know, uh, church is established, the gathering, it's, it's what Jesus set up initially. Uh, the church was launched with, at his direction. Uh, we are called to come together weekly and serve one another. Uh, I also believe in small groups. It says that the early church met in the temple courts, like a church service, but they also met house to house. We grow strong when we meet together and we commit to one another. And I encourage you to join a gear group. But here's my caution to you. If you're coming to church and you're learning and you're growing by learning, but you're not exercising love, you're missing the most important part of following Christ, of being a Christian, the great commandment. It's much, much easier to learn things. It's much, much easier to go through curriculum and, and get more versed in Scripture and know some Greek and know some Hebrew and whatever. It is so much harder to love people. So much harder. But that's what we're called to do. Never, ever replace learning, learning, learning with doing. We're called to do. Love is intention max, matched with action. You know, Peter saw this. He didn't quite understand how hard things would be, how difficult it would be. And uh, we read about this lesson in uh, the different Gospels. But essentially what happened is the night before Jesus uh, went to the cross, he was with the disciples. He, he was talking to them. And Peter was saying, I'm going to go to the grave with you. There's nothing that can take me away from your side. I will, I'm here. I'm in. I'm, I'm all in. I'm your guy. And Jesus was, was warning him. But we know what happened. That night... Jesus was arrested. He was taken off. And outside where he was on trial, there was this fire pit. And this person came up to him and said, do you know Jesus? He said, I don't know the man. Another person came up and said, you sound like you have the right accent. I don't know him. A third person came, accused him of knowing Jesus. And he called down a curse on himself to make sure they believed him. I don't know the man. He denied him three times. He did not understand how difficult it is to love. And I think we have to understand that. So, after Jesus had died and rose again, they're sitting on the bank on the shore around a fire pit, and Jesus and Peter are having a conversation. And Jesus is teaching Peter about love. Here's how it goes. In John chapter 21. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, it could have been he was talking about fish and fishing. could have been talking about the other disciples. It's interesting the word he uses, though. He says, do you love me? Agape. Self-sacrificial, the highest form of love. Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, phileo. Deep affection for a friend. Deep, deep affection for a friend. It's not a, an insult to say, I phileo love you. But Jesus said, do you agape me? He said, I phileo. I, I love you so much like a friend. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said again to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Agape. He said to him, Peter, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I 
Phileo, love you. He said to him, Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you phileo? Do you love me like a brother? Do you love me intensely like a brother? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo, love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo, love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you don't wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. You can see Peter's hesitancy. He's starting to embrace how difficult it is to love, to have that highest level of love. He's not really ready to fully commit, but here's what's beautiful about this passage. Jesus is saying to him, you don't realize it, but you do. You do have the highest form of love for me because someday you're going to die for me. You're going to give your life for your love for me. You see, we have to appreciate how difficult it is to love. Those three questions that he asked him may have related to the three denials. That's another possibility. But the reality is he was restoring Peter to his relationship with him. I want to rewind back a little and go to that night before so we see an interaction that Jesus and Peter had and, and discuss a little more about this, this love and how difficult it is. Uh, in Luke twenty two thirty one to 32, it says this. Uh, Peter is... Uh, having a conversation with Jesus. <clears throat> and this is right before Peter says, hey, I'll never leave you. I'm your man. Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. This is a really powerful verse. Because what Jesus is saying is, you feel alone, Peter, but I'm praying for you. You're going to feel alone, Peter. You're going to fail me, Peter, but I've prayed for you. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm with you. I'm in your corner. doesn't matter how you feel in the moment. And we feel like this sometimes. You might feel like in a marriage you're alone. Well, Jesus is pleading in prayer for you. You might feel like you're ostracized at work. Jesus is pleading in prayer for you. Maybe you're in one of these families where you, you weren't treated right and you felt alone. Jesus is pleading in prayer for you. And even if you feel like Peter did for that period of time where he was apart from the Lord, he felt estranged, Jesus never gave up on him. You see, Jesus in that moment saw Peter's weakness, prayed for him, saw Peter's failure, saw Peter's return, and saw Peter's future ministry. All in that one verse. He doesn't give up on us. Even if our love fails, he doesn't give up on us. And he's going to get us to the point where we can love the way he's loved us. So, we need to understand that there's a lot of opportunities. Take advantage of them. That, that we've got to embrace how difficult it is. And finally, if we really want to love the way God's called us to love, living out Biblical love means I 
depend on God to help me with it. I depend on him to help me with it. We all need help at times, right? Do you guys need help sometimes? Okay, good. I'm not alone. We were moving to San Diego back in 2017. We got uh, a call to go launch a church for David Jeremiah. If you don't know who he is, you look him up. He's a well-known author, written a zillion books, and it was kind of an honor to get to go down there. Um, But before we left, you have to do something called move, right? You have to pack. And our garage looked like an episode of Hoarders. I'm not kidding you, right? You would open our garage door from the kitchen you, you'd, or, or from the uh, wherever it was, uh, the hallway, and you'd go in the garage and you would see off in the distance, if you bent your head, the door, the, the roll-up door. And there was a pathway that got to that door. But there was walls of stuff on either side because Teresa and I got married and I had a storage unit and she had a lot of stuff. And, and um, we also had stuff that we collected after that. They're collectibles. I know that because we collected them. And so <laughs> the garage was just a disaster. And so we were telling our group, ah, we're so stressed. We've got to move. We've got to purge. And one of our uh, small group members go, oh, I love doing that. I love organizing. God is so good, isn't he? But there's only one problem. I was so embarrassed. I didn't want her to come over and see our house. But we had her over one time, and she looked at it, and she goes, oh, yeah, we can do that. So we invited our whole small group over, and it was an opportunity for them to serve us. And we took everything out of the garage. We put in a giveaway pile and the save pile and uh, the argue later about a pile, whatever. But we, we had it all set out in the driveway, cleaned, swept the garage, and got it back. And it looked so much better. So we just needed help. And you know what? If you're going to do the hardest thing there is to do, you have to have God's help. You can't do it on your own. It's too hard. I'm just telling you. Don't think you can love biblically on your own. You will fail. You need God's help. Just like my garage, our lives are a mess. We have things happen. We have people come in and we have people that hurt us. And we need some help loving them in return because those things leave scars. We can't wait, love the way God has called us to love without this power. This is what it says in 1 John 4, 16. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. He's agape, this word that's never used in Greek literature. He is love. And all who live in love live in God. That's a proof that you're a Christian. That's one of the proofs that we are given. That you are loving like this. That you are loving sacrificially. That you're being hurt and responding in love. And God lives in them. We need him. You know, in the scenario where I'm talking about all the crazy people out there who hurt you, right? In this scenario, we're the crazy people who hurt God. We're the people that let him down. We're the people that lied. We're the people that cheated. We're the people that were selfish. And he didn't let that stop him from loving us. He sent his son to die for us in spite of the fact that we may not have even wanted him. He's relentless in his love for us. And when we share the gospel with people, when you tell people, hey, Christ died for you. We're giving them a message about God's love for them. But when we love people like he loved us, people see the gospel. They see God's love in practice. Can you imagine 
What would happen if every single one of us began to love other people like that? The hard love, the tough love. Life would be different. The church might have a different reputation than it has now. You know, this is Black History Month. One of the most famous black uh, people, figures in our country is obviously the Reverend uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, right? Just uh, celebrated his birthday uh, last month. And I love, his, uh, I love his I Have a Dream speech, but he has another sermon that's quoted that you'll hear. And he's got this great quote in there. He says this, Returning hate for hate multiplies hate adding even deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. In this world, people are used to meeting each other where they're at. You cannot help anyone who hates you and who has undermined you and who's hurt you, you cannot help them by giving it back to them. The only possible way, and it's not a guarantee, but the only possible way that things might change is if you respond in love, biblical love. I have a friend who teaches a class for uh, people who had sadly gone through a divorce and now they're co-parenting their kids. And in the singles ministry, I heard a lot of stories about this. And it's really sad. When, it, when a family breaks up, what happens is, you know, children often go back and forth to the parents, but you no longer have any control over the other person's house. You, you can't control who brings, uh, who they bring into the house, who they may live with, who they may marry, uh, their parenting styles. It's all out the window. You might try, but you cannot fully control that like you can when you're in a nuclear family. And so it leads to a lot of problems. And so this guy was teaching a class, and he started the class by saying this. He said, this session is going to make a lot of you very mad. Um, and, and I understand that. It doesn't change the fact that I have to tell you this. Your ex, who I know has hurt some of you so deeply, you need to respond to that person in love, both for your kid's sake and for God's sake. And after the class, he had this woman come up to him and she said, I am so angry at what you said today. You don't know my story. I, I married a man, an African national who had moved to the U.S. We got married. We had two boys and we ended up going through a divorce, just couldn't get along. And we split custody, shared custody, and it was his week, and so the kids went over to his house. And I got a call at the end of that week saying, we're in Africa, I bought the boys plane tickets, and we're not coming back. And she tried everything. She goes, I went to the State Department, I talked to the country in Africa, tried to get my, my kids back home to no avail. This happens, you can read about it online. It's very sad. There's parental alienations, all this. She goes, you don't get it. How am I supposed to love him? And she walked away just so frustrated, so angry, so sad. And two weeks later, she would talk to her sons from time to time. So the ex-husband would call and let her talk to her boys. And 
Two weeks later, she got a call from her ex, and he said, I'm calling to let you know we've been in an automobile accident. We were in the hospital, but everybody's home. The boys are okay. I just wanted to call and reassure you that, that everything's okay. She said, in the past, the first thing that would come to my mind is, how dare you? How dare you take my boys away? This never would have happened. There's so dangerous over there, and you had no right, and she would have gone on. But something inside of her clicked, and she said, for this the moment, she put herself in a position to, to have empathy for him and to look at him and, and to, to look at him for who he was as a father. And she remembered that he really loved his boys and that, that he would do anything for them. And she said, thank you so much for calling me. I'm so grateful that they were with you. I know how much you love them. I know how protective of them you are. I know you're a good driver. Had they been with somebody else, who knows what could have happened. Thank you for protecting my boys. And it was quiet on the other end. And he said, wow, thank you for saying that. I didn't expect that. He went on to say, if you'd said that, talked like that more often, we might still be married. Probably didn't need to say that. But it changed the course of their relationship. She met hate and hurt with love. I'm here to tell you that living out that kind of love takes God. It really does. And so I'm going to issue a love challenge with you this morning. We're going to do a love challenge. So if you got notes out, you can get your phones out. I want you to all do something. So I'm going to take a moment. If you're online at home, get something you can write on. But we're going to do a little exercise. All right? I'm going to wait a minute. Is everybody ready? All right. If you're not writing something down, I'm going to expect you to go back later, listen to this, and do what I say. All right. First thing I want you to do. We've all, first of all, we've all been blessed with uh, annoying people in our eyes, right? Okay, good. So I'm sure we all have some. Number one, think of someone in your life who has hurt you. You might consider them an enemy. Someone in your life who maybe annoys you, someone who has disappointed you, betrayed you, whatever it is, and write their name down. Whatever name comes to your mind, write that name down. Just give you a few moments. Just write the name down. Second thing, using that scripture in Luke, love your enemies, he gives you a couple ideas. There are some people that are so unsafe that to talk to them would be unwise. So maybe it's pray for them. Maybe that's what you need to do. But I want you to think, using your creativity or whatever the Holy Spirit brings to mind, what does God want you to do to that person to show them love? What does God want you to do? Go ahead and write that down. Next, I want you to write down a date that you're going to do it by. <laughs> All right? Write down a date. 
Whatever date comes to mind. Today's the fifth. Write down the date. And last, I want you to tell somebody. I want you to write down the name of somebody you're going to tell that you're going to be accountable to. Maybe your spouse, maybe a friend, uh, but somebody you're going to tell, I need to tell somebody I love them and I want you to hold me accountable. So you don't need to tell them about the infraction or all that. Just tell them that you want to be held accountable to this. And let this be maybe first or maybe it's the hundredth time you've done this, but let this be an opportunity to love somebody the way God has loved you. Because you never know what can happen in somebody's life when you love them with that kind of godly love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you love us so well. And we experience that love. We experience the love that Jesus gave us when he died on the cross. And we're so grateful to know you because of that. But Lord, you've left us here to bring the message of your love to others, both in word but also in deed. And so, Lord, I just pray you would help us to love our enemies today. Help us to love people that don't deserve it. But you've called us to so that we can be your examples, your people, loving others here on earth for you. And I just pray for some in this room who have been so deeply hurt that this maybe stirred up some difficulty. It's okay to feel hurt. It's okay to feel pain. We understand that that's the normal reaction when we've been hurt. Help us to see this person or this circumstance in our life the way you see it and help us to insert love into it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.